It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornsheen. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornsheen. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. And with me here in the studio, my good friend, Dr. Steve Ford. Dr. Ford, it is always such a joy to have you here in the studio. Welcome back, my friend. Thank you, John. As I, as I say, it's always good to be here. I look forward to this all the time and, and just really rejoice in the Lord and our time together. Absolutely. And we've had a great, great series on the book of Revelation. I know I've learned mm-hmm. a lot. I'm sure the people listening have learned a lot. Uh, they don't realize it, but you're talking and I'm just sitting here nodding. <laughs> I realize this radio and you can't see that. Uh, but I am learning a lot as well, and I appreciate that. Wow, it's been a fun study. I've really enjoyed the journey so far. I know we've got a lot to cover even today. (laughs) Oh, we do. This is going to be so great. There were some other questions that came up as I was thinking about our prior episodes and our prior discussions. And, you know, we had talked about the mark of the beast and and what Mm -hmm. that means and sort of a mark of Satan. We talked about how historically Islam has marked those who do not believe in Islam in the past. And we've also talked a little bit, we touched on how God marks and seals those who are his. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to discuss was uh, what you and I have talked about before. I've said is one of the scariest verses in scripture. There are some things in scripture that are fairly intimidating. We've got uh, Mark 9, where it says uh, that we don't want to be cast into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Oh, and we see in Revelation 14, we had talked about what happens to those who uh, take the mark of the beast and suffer the wrath of God. And well, one of the scariest ones I, I have here is from Matthew 7, 21, 23. I think it's the scariest verse in scripture. And it says to me, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, mm. but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Mm. That's a, that is an, a scary verse. And then you wonder, how did, how does that happen? Right. Right. I mean, I think that's probably the natural question when you yeah, read a definitely. verse like that. And how do I, how do I find myself as, as you just read? These are individuals who thought themselves working to do the very right. works uh, that were of righteousness and yet are rejected by the Lord. Uh, and I, I find that there's so much in Scripture that really addresses that issue, as we see in Matthew chapter 12, even, of how you can uh, be even just chewing on the Word. Right. You know, in, in Matthew chapter 12, we, we see these who, even an individual tries to sweep out his own house and get right by cleaning out, maybe he's had an addiction, maybe this person is, maybe they started dating somebody who was going to church, and they started to <laughs> adopt religion in their life and get cleaned up a little bit and, and 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 adorn themselves with religion. And maybe even they've had a moment of repentance, and like the nation of Israel, when they repented, when John the Baptist was saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they many were coming out to the Jordan to be baptized, and they're repenting. And then when the Messiah comes, they reject him. So the house was cleaned up, ready for the Messiah but there was no room in their heart for the Messiah to come in. And then the state was worse than, right. than it was originally. And, and we see that nationally, and we see that with individuals, is they adopt a cause, is they try to do good works, but ultimately they've not accepted Jesus, and the space was not filled 
with the Holy Spirit. And when we talked about being sealed by the Lord, that's that assurance. Yeah, the blessed the verse, assurance. Yeah, this verse does not apply then to the one who's been transformed by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, by the work of the Holy Spirit to transform our minds. So that's the assurance we have. Yeah, it a little bit reminds me of the parable of the sower and the seeds. Yeah. And the same sort of response that people have, maybe some initial interest, maybe some initial change. The other thing that was remarkable to me years ago, uh, speaking with people, is that an, I would say a large percentage were, were uh, had a worldview, basically, if my good things outweigh my bad things, that I'm going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that can be very, very prevalent in our culture, in right. our system. You know, I'm a good person. You know, sure. those sorts of things. And I think this goes even beyond that. And, and and even some of us who, like you said, we're in the church pews every Sunday. We're doing mm-hmm. the things that we think are, are good. We think we're doing the works, uh, all those sorts of things. But we don't necessarily have that relationship with the Lord that he wants with us. That's right. Yeah. And it, it, it is a, a checkbox relationship, if right. you even call that. That's where religion dangerously fills this gap in our lives of self-imputed righteousness, where we have this idea that we are in good standing with God. You think about the Pharisees with their standard of morality, their Talmud, the Mishnah, the thousand laws they'd added to God's laws that now usurped even God's original directives given to Moses by way at Sinai and by way of angels. And those 613 ordinances were now tucked away with the new laws they'd added that they felt were helping God out. Right. But we're going to add these these new regulations, 24 uh, chapters alone on just wow. what you couldn't couldn't do on the Sabbath. Uh, so by the time you figured it out, you've died, and, and somebody else is going to start all over again. <laughs> right. Uh, and and this self righteousness so dominated the train of thought, they didn't even need a savior anymore. Yeah. We don't need you, Lord. Right. Uh, we got we, this. We've got yeah. Yeah. We're now cleaned up. We've cleaned ourselves up. Yeah. And and we know what the Lord says that our yeah. our righteousness is but filthy rags. Amen. Uh, we we need to understand we are all these hollow vessels that desperately need the Lord to come in and dwell with the Holy Spirit is that seal upon us, that assurance that Matthew 7 won't apply uh, to us. That right. it, we shouldn't have anxiousness or fear of a verse like that if we have truly surrendered in a an authentic uh, de- declaration of repentance and not just an understanding of sin, but now saying, I need you, Lord Jesus. You are God. Come into my life and I lay down my agenda to follow you. Yeah, uh, that's where sometimes we'll say I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to follow the a Lord. Christian, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's always that but, right? I'm I'm going to go through the say the sinner's prayer, but I don't want to surrender my way to your way. Yeah, uh, and, and then you go, wait a minute, is that really an authentic conversion? Did you understand the seriousness of your salvation? There, as Hebrews two calls us to self-examine, uh, that this is a a very real deal where we have. Uh, if we're not willing to put off the carnal mind of Romans 6 to 8 that will battle against the Holy Spirit to discipline on a regular basis to say, I want to reflect the glory of the Lord today. Yeah, uh, I think that there's some real uh, seriousness here that we need to self-examine. Are, are we just calling out the label of Christian right. because we want fire insurance? Right, right. Or are we really going to walk the walk yeah. is, is someone who is a... Uh, an obedient servant of the most high God. Yeah. 
there's some real there that we have to ask these real tough questions. Right. I agree. And we have to, I think it's easy for us to forget what it costs Jesus yeah. to give us that blessed assurance. You know, that's the great thing about salvation by grace with salvation by works. There's no peace. That's there's right. no peace. When have you done enough? When is God going to be appeased? How do you know? Mm. Amen. And I think that's Amen. one of the great things the, the Lord has given us and he wants us to have peace, but we need to make sure that that peace is founded on the cornerstone, Jesus Christ and nothing else. That's right. And, and we talked a little bit about that assurance, right? Yeah. We talk about, uh, I think that, that can create some haunting dreams, and rightfully so, if we're not truly convicted sure. by what we have declared. When you, even when somebody's baptized, you know, they are making a declaration before God and before man that they are going to follow the Most High God. They are going to walk as Jesus walked, serve as he served. Amen. It's no longer my agenda. That's not something that happens the next day, right? right? This is a dedication, a part of the sanctification process. Right. We're born right? again. We're babies. Yeah, we, we're yeah, babies. We You've got to grow up again. You've right. got to learn the ways of God. You, you, you know, Just like the three years that Paul spent with Jesus, uh, where Saul right. became Paul, or the apostles who, before that, they were disciples. They were doulos for the right. king of kings. <laughs> right. They had three years at the foot of Jesus to learn his yeah. ways, go out and, and, and go out two by two, come back, report to me. Let, this is what you did. This is what you said. I'm going to empower you. And they got to report back to their master. Right. And, and three years of discipleship that ultimately would set them on a path of, of sacrificial service to the king of kings. We need to model that in our own lives. Yeah. But when we talk about being sealed, can I just read some of those yeah, verses? Let, let's go to scripture on this because we need to understand that when we become a new creation in Christ Jesus, we talked about the mark of the beast, that this, this Satan distorts and twists and, and manufactures a diluted version of what the Lord has already instituted. So he he puts his own twisted distortion and, and, and agenda in there. Yeah. So if the Lord has set a point and, and appointed 12 tribes of Israel, then he creates his own 12 <laughs> right. tribes through Ishmael. And, and, and it, there's always this twisted thing that he does. So when we talk about being marked, well, we're first as believers, we're marked by the Holy Spirit. And it, and it gives us this assurance of that, that uh, we belong to the most high God and he won't lose us. His grip is assured that he knows those who belong to him. Let's read some of these scriptures. 2 Timothy 2.19, nevertheless, this, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So he's marked us, we belong to him, what's the expectation? We walk as he walked. And, and then Jesus Christ, he bore the seal of God. Listen to this, it says, on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval, John 6, 27. Then it says those who trust in Jesus also possess the seal of God, which is the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. It says, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So you, you can't have the Holy Spirit and succumb to the Matthew 7 equation of depart from me, I never knew you. Because right. if you're a vessel where the Holy Spirit has a dwelling place of 1 Corinthians 6, right. you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> God is in you. Obviously, he knows where he is. Yeah, he cannot right? reject himself. Right. <laughs> That's right, it. Right. <laughs> yeah, he's not going to reject himself. You are now a vessel of the Most High God. And the blood that atones for your sin, he sees only the forgiven. 
yeah. uh, when when walking to his presence there. And I, I let me then take us to what I think is a beautiful assurance to the overcomer. I, I mean, when you have a seal like that, there's an inheritance that awaits that we just can't fully imagine. And when I read scriptures like these, it helps carry me through the difficult day. Yeah. When you're going through some adversity right now and you feel like, why am I why am I standing for Jesus? Why am I taking blow after blow, being rejected by my family, coworkers, and mm-hmm. feeling like, is it really all worth it in the end? Of course, I'd encourage you to go back and read Second Peter three, but let me give you some assuring assurance in this, some some the verses that give you this confidence of why we Stay the course. Your labors are not in vain. Don't grow weary in doing good. Listen to these verses. Isaiah 40, verse 31. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. 1 Corinthians 15 then tells us that we will, like, it's a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Changed to what? Well, Philippians 3.21 says that he will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. And and then, of course, that's why in 2 Corinthians 5.8, he says, we are confident, I say, I would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord why? Because Matthew twenty two thirty says we will be like the angels in heaven, even not to become angels, right, right. but like them. And then you turn to to Re- Revelation in this, and you see Revelation actually gives us twelve promises to the overcomers. These are sealed by God Himself with His Holy Spirit, and He gives these assurances to the overcomers that He reveals when He's actually reprimanding some of the churches that had lost their moorings. Right. Uh, they were being commended, but they're also under some condemnation. You got to get your act together. Yep. Get back to what I told you to do. Listen to these promises that are given through the Book of Revelation to the overcomer. Number one, the right to eat from the tree of life in paradise with God. That's in Revelation two seven. We're given eternal life, immortality. In Revelation 2.11. And then he says, you will have the right to eat of the hidden manna. In Revelation 2.17, you go, well, okay, so I get to eat of bread. It's more than that. The hidden manna was in the Holy of Holies. That was a place they could only enter into once a year on the Day of Atonement. And now he's saying, you get to eat of it all year long. You get to be in my presence. This is where God was. You get to be in the presence of God forever. He then says, you receive a white stone. And and people are like, well, wait a minute, what kind of, what's a white stone? Is that like a signet ring? Is that like a graduation class ring? The white stone is very symbolic. Revelation 2.17 talks about receiving this white stone to the overcomer. It actually goes back to Exodus 28.30, the Urman and the Thummim. And these were two stones, black and white, they put on the inside of the ephod of the high priest. The white stone, the Thummim, meant faultless, a yes a yes from God. You receive a white stone just as the high priest received in the presence of the Lord. You are faultless before Almighty God. Then you receive a new name. Oh, just like Saul became Paul. Right, right. It's like Abram became Abraham, right? right? We receive a new name in Revelation 2.17. We also receive authority over nations according to Revelation 2.26. We then get unity with Christ. (laughs) That's hard to even imagine. Revelation 2.28, you receive a new wardrobe. You get a white robe, 
he gives out a new, I love it, graduation day. You, you get your whole <laughs> regalia, right? right? You got cap and gown. Well, this is like cap and gown like none other. Uh, this is a whole white wardrobe there, Revelation 3, 4 to 5. You have eternal citizenship in heaven, Revelation 3, 5. Uh, the tenth thing he wants to give is you get your name on the pillar in the temple of Jesus Christ, which is part of his millennial kingdom in, in uh, Revelation 3, 12. We also have the Lord's new name written upon us. And we see that twice, Revelation 3.12, and the Lord receives his new name in Revelation 19.12. We don't realize that, that the Lord receives a new name. It seems like God constantly is giving out these new names that reflect part of that sanctification process. Even the Lord Jesus receives a new name that he stamps upon us, another seal. We already have the Holy Spirit. Now we get the Lord's name stamped right upon us. And then finally, the 12th thing he gives to these overcomers who've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, the right to sit with Christ on his throne in Revelation 3.21. That's mind-blowing. I, I don't know how we can possibly imagine that we would have any right to sit on the throne of Jesus Christ. I, I just, I still, when I read that, I can't quite process yeah, that. Our minds around that. Yeah, especially what Isaiah saw. Yeah, you know, and, and then we read Ezekiel, and we get the yeah. image of the throne room of Christ and God the Father. I don't think we can possibly imagine that these things that are assured, not a hope maybe, hope assured to those things, to these who are sealed by the Holy Spirit. May we have no fear then of Matthew chapter 7, if we right. surrender our lives <laughs> no to longer Jesus the Christ, scariest verse if we confess with our mouth, Lord Jesus, yeah. and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we yeah. are saved. Yeah. No asterisks. Right. You've, you've swept out the space. Now yeah. it's time to fill it with Jesus Christ. Right. It's right? not Jesus and. That's know? right. It's not Jesus and five-point Calvinism. It's not Jesus and works. It's not Jesus and this. It's not Jesus and that. That's right. Just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Amen. Yeah. It's all about him. Yeah. As you read those scriptures and you read about uh, the scriptures in regard to us being sealed, I could just feel the thrill just in my chest as you read those things. Scripture is so beautiful. Amen. It is so absolutely beautiful. Yeah, and I just—it's so great that we have this this opportunity to share it. it. It was fascinating as you were talking about the promises we have and the things that we have to look forward to. Amen. One question I had was trying to tease out a little bit the difference between the millennial kingdom and God's eternal kingdom. Oh, I love that question. In fact, uh, as we're talking about right here on the radio on Sunday morning, here we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God. What does that mean? We've heard right. the terms kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. They're actually synonymous, right? I mean, you'd have Matthew would use the term kingdom of heaven mm -hmm. That's right. out of respect to the people that they would they were so concerned about taking the Lord's name in vain, right. you wouldn't even say the kingdom of God, right? You would say the kingdom of heaven, and they're synonymous. Um, but we have the universal kingdom, everything that God has made under his authority. He spoke it into being. He is sovereign over all of it. He is omnipresent. He has already seen the end from the beginning. He's a temporal. Time does not rule over God. God rules over time. Yeah. Uh, so th th that's the universal kingdom. Then you have the mediatorial kingdom in which God has created man, Majo Dei, to rule over the earth. And he has imparted to them his will, his direction, poured into them by power of the Holy Spirit, guided them, equipped the saints for the work of ministry, that they do his work, make his message known across the whole earth. This segues then into what we call the millennial kingdom, right? right. This is the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, and I believe it to be a literal 
thousand-year reign, I think that what we find is that Jesus, as he declared that he was Lord of the Sabbath, that was the stamp on when creation began, that Jesus was there at creation. I'm the God who created. I made seven days, and I stamped it. I am the Lord of the Sabbath I created. And therefore, what we find is in Psalm 90, verse 4, and 2 Peter 3, 8, that a day is but a thousand years, a thousand years but a day. I believe this to be a 7,000-year plan of God, the mediatorial kingdom being 6,000 years, and ends with a 1,000-year Sabbath of Jesus Christ, which he then will mediate his own kingdom on the earth. And it's a beautiful display of what happens here. Let me just give you a glimpse of that just in brief here. The millennial kingdom, Christ is ruling over the earth from Jerusalem. Now, other scriptures indicate that David is also put over the authority over Jerusalem as the city, but Jesus Christ reigns over the whole earth from Jerusalem. Now, this is not the new Jerusalem, mind you. This is a rebuilt Jerusalem that is very different than what it looks like today because there have been massive earthquakes recorded throughout the book of Revelation that changes the topography of the city, the temple that is described in Ezekiel 40 to 45, the true third temple is where Jesus Christ will reign from. And it's way too big for the topography of the city of Jerusalem right now. There are three major valleys that run through the city and the size of this temple can't fit over that topography. But we see that Jesus cracks the Mount of Olives in two. There's major earthquakes. Even after the two witnesses resurrect and rise up into heaven, they ascend into heaven. The topography is very different. And so this massive temple is constructed. You want detail? Ezekiel 40 to 45 gives us incredible detail. Every step is measured of how big this temple is. I mean, even the crown molding is given to us in detail there in Ezekiel 40 to 45. During this time, the believers before Christ's coming, who have received new bodies, according to 1 Corinthians 15, are now immortal. He delegated cities to them to reign over the earth, to bring people to worship him there in Jerusalem. So they've received their new bodies, 1 Corinthians 15. They're reigning over the earth, and there's still people on the earth, mortals who didn't know Jesus. Now, Zechariah then tells us that we bring them to the temple to worship Jesus Christ, right? So when he says he delegates cities, he means it. There's these mortals, Isaiah 65 talks about that, that are still on the earth. They will repopulate the earth. And something happens as extraordinary as it tells us in in, in Isaiah that even a child will be but 100 years old, right? So people are living longer life. They're healthier people, but they're still capable of sin. That's the interesting thing, is that we see that there are even those in Zechariah who talk about that they're not going to go worship Jesus, which there's consequences for that. And we see that there's a court that is set up, that Jesus creates a court to hear the disputes of men in Ezekiel 44, 24, and that he will be like the Supreme Court justice in Micah chapter 4, 2 to 3 and 8, that if the court can't settle it, he makes the final verdict on that. So here we have men that are capable of sin, even though Satan is not loose to tempt them, he's bound up during that thousand-year reign, and he'll be re-released at the end of that thousand-year reign. So there's still one more temptation. Even those who are born and raised during the thousand-year kingdom must face the enemy once and for all, right? Right. And then the Lord will deal with it. Unfortunately, thousands, millions will reject Jesus Christ. After seeing him in his glory on his throne, they'll still reject him. It says like the numbers of the sands of the seashore. This, of course, then at the end of that, after that has been dealt with, those who have stood with the Lord, 
both those who are mortals and immortals with Jesus Christ, then this kingdom is merged into an eternal kingdom where it says all things are made new in Revelation chapter 21. This is where we get the description of the new Jerusalem, and we get a new heaven, we have a new earth, all things made new. And when you think about the magnitude of this, this new Jerusalem is 1,500 miles high as it is wide. It's like a giant cube that goes up 1,500 miles. Wow. Okay, now if you do the math on that, that's 792,000 floors. That means every floor could have 250,905,600 mansions per floor with 250,000 square feet per mansion and 75 acres. That city then with that much space per person could accommodate over 20 billion people. So when we see in Revelation chapter 7, it says that there's a number gathered before his throne that no man can count. Yeah, there you he go. He means it. <laughs> he says, I go to prepare a place for you. When I come back, I'll take you unto my own. This is, this is what he's talking about. I mean, it is a magnificent city. We believe that there's been some 8.3 billion Christians since 30 AD. Now you take all the abortions, you take the oh, children who have yeah. died in the womb. Yeah. You've taken uh, all these factors that the Lord who loves life gives them a home 20 billion is very plausible sure. that could fit within this new city and then he makes all things new and you think about how much space junk we've put up there the anthropic principle even says that every word we've spoken has created toxins even into the universe itself so what we have is god just only thing that remains is that which has accepted the lord jesus as fully god and it's Glorious. a beautiful new kingdom that comes. It's an amazing thing. I mean, when you really examine this, it is a beautiful uh, culmination of into the millennial, into the eternal that just gives us such hope. God's, yeah. God's got big plans for us, <laughs> big does. plans. So I hope that's encouraging. Uh, I, I just, I know we've just skimmed it. Uh, there, we could probably spend several broadcasts just in that discussion alone, and, and we're already out of time. Oh, yeah, it goes by we, so we just quick. touch on it, and it. we're already out of time. <laughs> um, I know we've we've talked about some broadcasts forthcoming. We'll, we'll talk about the agape love of Jesus Christ, of God the Father. Um, we've got some exciting programs coming yeah, up. Definitely. And uh, Dr. Ford, I always love that you bring these wonderful, insightful questions. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, so we're going to have to adjourn for today. And Hopefully, as you've listened to this, uh, if you've listened to our whole series now on eschatology, I'd like to encourage you to go back and listen to prior broadcasts and get involved with our church family at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. Our services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays. We've got services in, in small groups that meet throughout the week, and you can learn more at calvaryfountain.com. There you'll find the prior broadcasts and ways to get involved and go deeper in God's Word together and, and really get connected with a family that seeks to know the Lord Jesus in a very personal, intimate way, a relationship with God. That's what we seek, and that's what we hope that you'll uh, learn and grow in that understanding and knowledge of the Lord at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. Again, calvaryfountain.com to learn more. God bless you, my friends, and we'll talk to you next week.